Hello everyone and welcome to what is the seventh Commune podcast on Metroid Prime Federation Force. I am Daniel and once again I am joined by uh, my two teammates on the um, Galactic Federation's Federation Force. They are Greg. Greg, say hello. Hello. That was very uh, stylish. Uh, <laughs> very stylized hello. Sounds like it might be one of the voiceovers in the game. <laughs> If you, uh, yeah, change the tempo. Um, <laughs> and uh, Adrian, please say hello. Hello. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. It's not really my responsibility to grade your hellos, is it? Um, so, <laughs> uh, so in this podcast, uh, we will be talking about uh, mods and loadouts and um, the effect that they have on the um, on the core shooting and moving gameplay uh, that we uh, that we had discussed back in the first podcast um, so yeah let's jump straight into it um, mods and loadouts uh, let's start with loadouts um, I've already forgotten um, who I was going to ask to say which one but uh, uh, Greg I'm sure you happily explain loadouts to us right yeah so before each mission, you can choose certain items to bring into the mission. And there's a preset number of each item that you can bring. Uh, and there'll be things they can use offensively, like missiles or th support items, like shields, or uh, like kind of miscellaneous items, like decoys that are useful but not really offensive or support. I think they're called auxiliary items, aren't they? Like, or orcs? Uh, AUX? That sounds right. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Anyway, sorry. No problem. So, there's a fixed amount that they give you for any mission, but even beyond that, you can only take as many as your weight limit allows. Um, so you can't just bring a thousand missiles and then blow up everything. There is a, um, a mod chip that can increase uh, your inventory slots. Yeah, for your loadouts. And uh, Adrian, what about uh, mods? What are mods? So mods are these uh, sort of passive abilities or modifications that you can add to your character to give various, you know, buffs and amplifications of the auxiliary weapons you carry or to your base character stats, such as, you know, taking less damage or doing more damage. You can also think of it like perks in other RPGs. There are these passive abilities that amplify you or your auxiliary weapons in some way. When you start the game, you can only equip one mod chip at a time, but as you progress through the campaign, you can equip up to three. Because there's a capacity of only three mod chips, it makes it so that you can buff yourself up, but never too much. You have to play to the buffs that you apply to yourself. You have to specialize, and it helps if you can like aim all of your mods towards one thing rather than try to spread out and do a bunch of stuff kind of poorly. Yeah. I guess in this sense, um, mods and loadouts sort of fit each other like two jigsaw pieces in the sense of if you equip certain mods that will uh, augment certain... Um, um, items in your loadout, then you want to take those items with you into the mission. So if you have like a um, like an extended burn period on the um, 
uh, on the fire beam, then you want to take fire beams in with your loadout when you go into the mission. So in that way, the two fit together and support different playstyles and approaches. Right. I guess one way I've sort of characterized, um, at least in my mind, the relationship um, between mods and loadouts and the core sort of moving and shooting gameplay is that the moving and shooting is the core. You know, it's the main part of the game um, and has strong, you know, spatial time dynamics, all of that goodness. And then you've got this sort of outer layer, which is the um, mods and loadouts and customization sort of options. Mm -hmm. um, and mods and loadouts, they affect the player's um, viable options within the game, and therefore they facilitate you know, different. Uh, they facilitate access to different types of gameplay and game styles, um, and they sort of, um, in their own way, create a different way of um, being and um, and interacting within the game, and they have their own sense of variation. So, the other thing that I want to say as well, I'm um, to tie the two um, together, is that uh, mods and loadouts are equipped before you go into a mission, so you can't actually change your your mods and loadouts um, while you're uh, while you're out on the battlefield. Um, you can find like um, like items. Um, which contribute, uh, you know, which go into your inventory or you know, what you might think of as loadout um, in like you know, boxes and that scattered throughout the um, throughout the missions, and you know, they're a way to sort of replenish your your, your stock. Um, but mods and loadouts are something that you do before the mission. It's kind of like you know, like some strategy games and I know, like a game like Final Fantasy Tactics, where before you go into a mission you will choose your party members and their equipment and whatnot. Same sort of deal here. Yeah, I think the mods and the loadouts also introduce a form of scalable difficulty for players. You can choose to go bare minimum, Mega Man Buster only, or you can choose just a couple of missiles to go to keep with you, or you can choose, you know, sorts of defense and offense buffs to make the game, you know, much easier for yourself. In the, um... In the Metroid context, it kind of feels like the Federation troopers have access to the same upgrades as Samus, only they kind of have to hack it into their suit, right, instead of getting these really fancy Chozo-style upgrades that are just permanent. Yeah. And uh, even, I mean, you get missiles. Samus gets missiles. Yeah, I mean, missiles were always... Well, even when you unlock missiles, they were always still things that she had to pick up. It's not like a permanent upgrade, like a you know a space jump or something, yeah, or a speed booster. So I guess my next question then is, um, what measures are put in place to encourage players to use a different um, range of um, mods and loadouts? Well, just in the first mission alone, I believe the sergeant actually tells you, hey, if you're going to an ice planet, you might want to bring on some fire weapons or something like that. So just in the tutorial itself, they give you advice on, hey, try things out. And even then, because you're always forced into that loadout screen before you start every mission, you know, naturally some players are going to be like, oh, let's look at what we got here before I just, you know, keep moving on with the game. And so that's one way that players are always emphasized to pick something is because they're always forced into that screen before they start a mission. And even then, the gameplay challenges them on their own 
um, can challenge players and may and encourage them to want to you know maybe dial the challenge it back and maybe pick up more missiles or uh, try out that shock shot that they kind of ignored things like that and even then just standard gameplay when you're blowing up crates you end up picking some anyway so that in itself can get you to try out some weapons and then maybe that can get you to pick out a mod that you collect at the end of every stage that can amplify those auxiliary weapons that you picked up. Uh, I think as well there's also on the fact that as a, as a group of players we each um, so we've uh, I mean we all choose our own um, mods um, we can get into the selection of that later but for loadouts you know we choose um, our loadouts from a collective pool mm -hmm. and so there's this sort of uh, natural push and pull where between the three of us you know we'd have to decide who was going to take what or <laughs> I guess undecide or not decide uh, you know if someone got in first and took all the missiles or something like this yeah. but um, you know there is also that um, you know, that sort of dynamic force of players and their own preferences and the fact that any one of us at any one point may want to choose a particular item or a, um, or to, or to um, focus on a certain uh, play style and so that would naturally affect the options of the um, uh, of the others uh, when they go and choose their loadout and uh, naturally because mods can have impact on what your loadout does uh, if someone has a particular mod that impacts a particular item like if Daniel has a thing that makes healing capsules stronger then we might be more likely to give him all of the healing capsules. And I guess with mods as well, um, you know, your use, um, there's also the the uh, decay of mods or, or the fact that mods break over time. Um, Greg, can you talk a bit about how, how this works and how it sort of encourages um, players to change their play styles? There are certain mods that never break. Uh, they're like un unlockables uh like the hyper mode mod from uh blast ball but aside from that the large majority of the mods you find are going to be in the world and they um they don't decay so much as when you die there's it's a seemingly random chance that a mod will break um yeah, I mean, I think that's all there is to it, um, and it's kind of frustrating because if you're on a hard mission and you have a good mod, if you have a good set of mods for that mission, then it can mean when you fail the mission, it gets that much harder. That's especially true with um, uh, with some of the what, uh, plus twenty plus twenty percent damage. Um, mods as well like they are so good um and they really contribute to your um not only your effectiveness um as a player who can you know damage the enemies but also but also just to rack up points you know like if you if you've got like you know, some of these buffs instead of you know taking 200 or instead of getting say 200 points on a full charge shot to the head sorry uh, instead of getting 100 points for a charge shot to the head on a space part you can get like 240 even uh, at some point, so you know that you know those mods are just awesome, and you really want to keep them. Mm -hmm. 
it got to the point where I would die pretty regularly in both campaigns, and I hated having to, um, I just hated my strategic options changing, so I just said screw it and unequipped all my mods. <laughs> yeah. That's where, um, yeah. So while I got you to unequip or not bother with mods anymore, uh, you still picked out auxiliary weapons. Yeah, definitely. But those are the same each, like, you know, you boot up the mission, there's 10 missiles. You can yeah. rely on that being there. Yeah. Um, I think to really, for us, and to really make sense of the uh, of the role that mods and loadouts play um, within the core gameplay, I think we really need to kind of focus on some of our own examples of how we use mods and loadouts um, to create those um, different playstyles. So uh, we've each got uh, we've each got a couple of examples that we will share, and um, and I think this will just paint a picture of that um, um, of some of the things that we've been talking about so far. And then once we've got that in place, we can then sort of talk a bit more about the other functions of mods and loadouts. So um, Adrian, do you want to run through um, a couple of examples of your mods and loadouts um, and how how and where you would use them in gameplay. Yeah. So uh, right off the bat, one mod that uh, we I used, especially for one mission in particular, was the armor decoy. Because in hard mode, the ice titans become much more deadly. But in the in the dish out more damage, which means the decoy wouldn't last as long. So they would only stay in the cage with the decoy for so long. So that mod right there was very helpful for at least to survive two or three hits instead of just one uh, when putting it in the cage for the ice titan to run after. So the armor decoy mod, especially armor decoy 3, was one that I chose. Auto revive was another big one for me. Um, I'm sort of a hybrid between warrior and support, where I would always take super missiles, and naturally I always want to get back into the action quick as possible, so that's when, if I have an auto revive mod, uh, that helps a lot, especially considering those are one-use mods only, so... I don't bother holding, I don't bother saving them, I just use them as I get them. And another mod that I would use, because again, playing to the warrior class, it are, I believe it's called armor plating, which gives you a defense boost of 10 to 20 to, actually it's called reinforced plating, and it goes from 20 to 30 to 50% of reducing damage. Uh, naturally those I enjoyed a lot. So that um, I could take more damage while still staying in the heat of action. And one, the fourth one, and this goes to the support again, uh, where it was the mod that expanded the amount of things you could carry. And those I found helpful because, specifically talking about auxiliary uh, weapons or ammo, healing capsules were some of the most important and I couldn't revive on auto-revive all the time. And naturally, one of the suckiest things to happen is when your capacity's full, you break some crates, and then you find, like, three healing capsules, and you can't pick any of them up, so I, you have to go off and, you know, waste some fire some fire shots or something. So that's why I found myself attached to 
the mod that expands your capacity so that if I'm going through a level, I can still pick something I can still pick something up, especially a healing capsule. So those are the mods that I found myself leaning to the most. Hmm. And what about you, Greg? What were some of your combinations? I liked the uh, mods that would amplify what your special or what the elemental weapons would do. I remember in particular the shock shot would help out on certain bosses. Although one uh, <laughs> one particularly amusing example, um, I think we mentioned that on mainframe the shock shot will spread from one box to the next. But also on the core phase, um, mainframe shoots out these lasers, and it's basically a, a jump rope section where you have to jump over and under some rotating lasers. And uh, if you use the shock shot, you can paralyze the boss on that segment, only uh, <laughs> it throws everyone's timing off because the boss's cycle is suddenly interrupted, and then your timing for jumping over the laser when it comes around is completely thrown off at that point. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the, the, um, um, the timing challenge of the jump rope, especially when there's the um, upper and lower um, lasers, is like really, uh, is quite complex. And so when you'd like pause the uh, timing, it'd totally like throw us off. Yeah. But uh, there's extensions on all of the elemental effects for freezing and for how long an enemy stays burned. And um, like we mentioned on Rock or using that kind of thing on a boss can be very helpful to keep open openings just that much longer. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'll share mine. Uh, I've got uh, two, and I think we've probably, I think we've talked about these um, already. Um, over the course of the last few podcasts. Um, so on the first one is, is similar to your last example, Greg, uh, with the um, electricity beam or the shock beam. Um, so I would often use uh, the freeze beam or the slow beam um, to prolong the time in which, um, in which a boss's weak point would be uh, open. And so it's quite helpful in... What was the boss with the giant beetle? Um, Rocker what beetle. Was that now? Oh, it's twelve. Twelve. Okay, yeah. Um, so I would use it um, in that boss, and we've actually we have a lot of bosses. I would you know, use the uh, freeze beam or slow beam just to um, prolong that time and to sort of um, um, ensure that we could um, meet the time requirements for the um, extra metal for the bosses. Um, I'd also use um, the freeze beam and, and the slow beam um, to take pot shots at, uh, well, to um, freeze space pirates, have enough time to charge my charge shot and then land a headshot, which would also have the extra um, bonus points of, um, of breaking the frozen enemy as well, which is great. And I think um, the freeze beam also is useful in the same way for creating like time and space within some of those more complicated um, challenges where there's like a lot of enemies all in at once. Um, so yeah, we've talked about a few examples of that um, before. The other um, example of mods and loadouts would be 
using the shield stabilizer and the shield. So the shield stabilizer increases the um, duration that you can have a shield active. And so I would use this quite a lot, wouldn't I? Yeah. Yeah, I used it in, I've got a few examples here. I used it in the infestation. Um, that's the um, retrieval mission where you have to go in and claim the um, um, the Metroid eggs. And in order to get the three medals, um, all players have to take an egg with them. And what that would mean is that as we were um, uh, as we were leaving the planet and we're moving through um, those last few rooms, we were all holding these eggs, which meant that none of us could shoot. And so by shielding um, one of us and by then getting the three of us under huddle up, we, we were then able to um, to just have a mad dash straight to the finish and we wouldn't have to worry about um, some of the space pirates. Yeah. Which is really good because, like in the second to last, yeah, in the second to last room, I think in um, infestation or the, I guess the second room, depending on your perspective, um, the way it's set up is that the space pirates are like they're sort of in the back corner, and so it, and so you can't really get a visual on them if you're moving straight ahead, and so you know, using the shield um, and the stabilizer allowed us to just keep moving ahead and to not have to stop, drop the eggs, turn around, find the space pirates, shoot the space pirates, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that mission was really intense, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It just reminded me that there were was two other mods that I forgot to bring up. One was the supercharger, which does extra 20, 30, 50% damage, which is incredibly useful for going for the high score. So not only would, if you get a a fully charged headshot that's where you get you know up to like 240 points like you brought up earlier so that was extremely useful uh, the other was as we progressed through the game I started using mines a lot more so I leaned towards I leaned towards using the um, the blast radius bomb where the explosions will deal full damage in the entire area instead of you know the center dealing 100 and then the outer area is doing like 50 as well as using the high yield mod where you know the proximity bombs do 20 30 50 percent more damage especially useful for black hole and high tower and this mission the one you brought up with the metroids i would also use it there too where i would stand by in the shield i would charge up the distance to fire mine because the radius was so large you could take out several of them at once yeah, so you can see by all the examples that we've gone through that <clears throat> that um, mods and uh, loadouts really, um, as I was saying, they change your viable options and they change the uh, potential um, the potential um, play styles that you can bring into a game. Um, although I know I've kind of preempted this question, but I'd still like to put it forward to see if you guys ha um, have some points to um, elaborate on, but. Um, Given this, um, what effect do the um, do the loadouts and mods have on the core shooting and moving gameplay? So the effect that the loadouts have on the core shooting gameplay uh, can be divided into three categories. You know, offense, defense, support. All of them help to make challenges easier and each in their own unique way. So for example, mines uh, are v very good for crowd control, protecting your back. Uh, destroying a large amount of enemies at once because a federation force deals with enemies 
that can often come up close to you even when they're just trying to shoot you. Uh, that's when mines were particularly effective. In fact, another mission where that happens is the end of mission 6 after the stealth section when we all get back into our mechs and we're all confined to a tiny area like that. Mines are incredibly useful because they do not damage other players so you can just throw them around wherever you want and kill everyone. So, in general, they work to make the game easier for yourself when you find yourself in a tight spot and covering giving yourself extra advantages that you or extra options that you normally wouldn't have if you were playing, you know, Buster only. What is Samus's gun called? I keep saying Buster uh, only, <laughs> but that's not what it's called. <laughs> uh, I think just the power beam generally called the charge beam. Oh, yeah, power beam. Okay, actually. yeah. yeah that'd be so right. instead of doing you know a power yeah. beam only run, <laughs> you get more options because oh now I can throw mines, now I can shoot missiles, now I can put up a shield and hide in it and shoot all the enemies that are surrounding me. Now I can fire a super missile. Things like that. Mods are an even further uh, scale to make the game easier for you by giving you extra damage. So if you're fighting a bruiser, that extra 30 to 50% can help you with taking them out faster. As well as things like extra capacity. Um, they also fall into the same three categories of mods helping you in offense, defense, and support. I think it's worth noting, though, that um, it, loadout is a difference in character, whereas mods are a difference in extent, right? Where, um, you know, a missile might help you do more damage, and the split missile mod doesn't, um, you know, only... Hmm... <laughs> A missile has unique behavior of how it flies through the air and how it can lock onto enemies, and the split missile mod does not change the missile's behavior so much as just how much damage and the width of the spread it does. Right, the split warhead, you know, splits the missile. Um, some of them, I believe, do change it. I know there is one for the fire shot that actually gives it two extra fireballs and increases the spread. Um, I guess the one thing to note about mods is that they're all buffs. You don't have anything, you know, like in some other games where you gain an advantage but also gain some other disadvantage at the same time. It's like, no, they only help you do better. Uh, they don't help you do worse. There's no ex there's no disadvantage that you have to work around. Mm. I guess one other point that I forgot to make earlier um, when Greg, when we were talking about, you know, mods breaking, is that they... While they also work to scale difficulty, and if your mods break, it can actually make the game harder, I do also think that they can get you to experiment with other mods, and as a consequence, other auxiliary weapons. So it's another way to get you to try out new things if you're still interested in making the game easier for yourself. At the same time, it could also get you to buckle down and learn how to play the game better, work to use that gyro aiming more, and get those charge shots in. Actually, just to extend off of what you were saying, Adrian, um, or maybe to paraphrase it somewhat, I think that the way that mods and loadouts um, line up and the way that they can um, uh, be used as a way to cover your own weaknesses as a player, um, you know, that's in that way, they, you know, by filling in your mistakes, 
or your areas of weakness, you know, they, you know, it's through that function that they encourage players to uh, experiment with different aspects of the game system, and even just being, um, being like discrete, um, sort of aug um, augments in and of themselves. Um, mods will draw your attention to elements of the game system that you otherwise might not have noticed um, as well. Um, and a good example of that is how the um, how the mods that would um, increase your damage, um, at least for me, you know, um, they made me more conscious of um, the way that points are assigned based on your based on uh, if you've uh, shot uh, if you made a shot at the body or if you made a shot um, at a particular weak point. Mm -hmm. um, and so and, and so that was really neat. Yeah. Yeah, um, so great. So if you can first uh, just explain um, how how we actually get mods, um, and then we can talk about the different uh, factors at play. So most of the mods you'll come across in the game world itself. Um, usually you have to find a secret passage, or it'll be locked away behind some wall. Uh, I think the first mod you can find in the game is behind a wall that you have to melt using the flame shot. Um, so you find those and you pick them up and they don't actually go to whoever picks them up. They go into like a shared pool and at the end of the mission you take turns picking out what mods you want and the order of choosing is based on whoever has the most points. So it'll cycle through the person with the most points, then the second person, then the third person, and in our case, we only had three people playing, so it would go back around to the first person again. Mm -hmm. The first person is a quite a, uh, is a quite an advantage because, um, particularly if there's fewer players, um, they're more likely to get more than one mod. So it's not just that you know first dibs; it's it's the um, it's also that option to get a second mod. Yeah, and the way that the mods are doled out according to points also ties into a theme that we see in a lot of um, multiplayer Nintendo games where it's cooperative but it's also competitive at the same time and you know this is where we see the uh, competitive aspect come out although in saying that um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like the three of us were pretty gracious like um, like Adrian like you would like leave mods and mm -hmm. I mean I don't know I feel like uh, at least in uh, in normal mode, I feel like Adrian, you like got heaps of like great mods. You, you generally <laughs> scored quite well, and then later on, you kind of like realize, oh yeah, I don't, you know, I'm, you know, I'll be nice and I'll let you know, Greg and Daniel take some. And yeah. then later on, you know, Greg was like, oh yeah, stuff mods, I don't need mods. So I was just, <laughs> I was just taking whatever I wanted by the end. <laughs> yeah. But now just to jump onto that point you were making about the score. Uh, even when not fighting for mods, well, for fighting for mods, it's, it especially encourages players to, you know, do better. Um, not just let the rest of their team, you know, do most of the legwork for them, actually be an active participant if you want to get your hands on some of those mods. But even just score alone, like even if I wasn't taking the mods anymore, I still wanted the best score. <laughs> yeah, so what? So you have the podium finish, is that it? Yep. <laughs> It's That's a little right. interesting in that sense, then, that um, collecting mods goes against score, 
in that, um, for one, each mission has a par time, and if you meet the par time, then you get a whole bunch of points. So, usually to find that, you want the shortest time, which means not taking those side passages where you pick up mods and little doodads. Mm -hmm. But there's also the fact that while you're off in that side passage, uh, the other players can be off shooting guys and actually getting like hundreds of points while you're collecting five points off a crate. Yeah. Yeah. There's always um, pros and cons. Yeah. There's. A... You know, I think that's. Um, I think that's again you know, because the game aside uh, is tied to those strong core dynamics that trade-offs like this, where um, you know, where mods are separate, are uh, hidden collectibles that are separate from the action you know that exploration has a natural tension through just through the through to this uh just because of the uh simple nature of uh of space mm -hmm. one thing that uh, i wanted to note about the mods is that you can still see in other games whenever you use you know uh something like a missile it would make the challenge easier but if you were going for a score run it's still you would actually have to sort of throw it away and use, you know, whatever gives you the most, you know, points. But with Federation Force, I find that you can actually still stick to uh, your playstyle. You can still stick to the, those auxiliary weapons that you're fond of if you equip the mod that gives them those damage boosts. So if you particularly like the, the fire shot or the shock shot or the freeze shot, you can still keep those weapons and do fairly well for getting a high score run. As long as you equip the mod that gives them those damage boosts. Uh, otherwise, on their own, naturally the thing that gives you the most points is a fully charged shot to the head or to a weak point. Uh, but thanks to mods, uh, you can keep, uh, you can actually make the high score challenges uh, easier by putting those mods and keeping your missiles and auxiliary weapons. Yeah, it sort of provides a Sort of as you were saying before, Adrian, with the scalable difficulty, it provides like a different avenue to engage in the game. Like you know, you might not be really good at um, uh, you know at shooting and aiming, but if you have, you know, but if you, um, you know, but you can make up for that in different ways due to mods and loadouts. Like with the free shot example I mentioned before about freezing a pirate and then getting a charge shot um, up, and then. Landing the headshot so as to um, you know, get your extra points. You know that's a way for people who may not be as good at um, aiming with a gyro to um, you know still participate in charge shotting through the head. <laughs> yeah, uh, a nice way to paraphrase it is that it allows players who do want to gauge with those high score runs, but without them having to be forced to throw away some of those auxiliary weapons. Uh, that they might have gotten attached to. How does the role creation that's made available through mods and loadouts differ from um, the sort of character, uh, the character-based role systems in other first-person shooting games? Um, and I guess, um, as counterexamples, I'm thinking like Team Fortress Two and games like that. Ah, well, besides the fact that uh, Team Fortress Two is you know, competitive multiplayer. In that game, those characters are more firmly set in their roles as far as, you know, uh, movement speeds, melee damage, 
and what guns they even carry. Uh, whereas Federation Force, everyone starts off, you know, with the same base stats, and then they modify themselves from there. So you can pick any auxiliary weapon you want. It's not tied to a class. There are no classes in Federation Force. It, your class, so to speak, is defined by you know what uh, what auxiliary weapons you pick and what mods you pick to go with it. So it's more freeform. Yeah, like build your own class. Yeah. Yeah, like build your own class out of the tools that we've given you sort of thing. Yeah. I can't actually think of many first-person shooters that really let you do that. So I guess if we've got these tools that we can use to create our own playstyles and to uh, build our own role, then I guess to sort of abstract out some of those examples that we gave, what kind of um, role did we create for ourselves within the campaign and did that role change over time for me I was definitely more of a sort of warrior role that is if I saw a super missile I knew I always wanted to happen because super missiles were so heavy and took up so much weight uh, I naturally leaned towards using the mod chip that extended your capacity as well as for the sake of using healing so I wouldn't die and have to wait for someone else to pick me back up. I could just heal myself and get right back into the action. Uh, over time, though, I because in hard mode, uh, super missiles are much more rare, I that eventually changed to me using proximity mines more. Uh, as well as the armored decoy. I used that quite a bit. So that's where, and because both of those are less direct ways of combating it, well, the proximity bomb does deal direct damage. The decoy less though. So that's why I consider myself more of a hybrid between, you know, warrior and support. You know, I remember there was like one point in the campaign where I just so happened to strike it lucky and um, get a super missile out of one of the boxes. And my first thought was, I've never used one of these before. Like, I think we've been playing for about you know ten hours, fifteen hours or something yeah. at that point, and you know you guys like just hogged them, and I'd I'd like never taken a super missile, and then I like wasted it <laughs> like on a simple enemy or something. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I'm pretty sure it does a thousand damage though, so it's not even much of a waste as far as score goes. Yeah, but I think I just use it on like an ice hopper or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, what about you, Greg? What were um, what role do you think you played, and how'd you get there? Uh, I don't really think I had uh, too much of a role per se. I would use things that uh, were very easy to use, like either the missiles or the elemental weapons. I wouldn't bother with anything like a like a slow beam or a decoy. Oh yeah, I forgot about I forgot about that. In my assessment, <laughs> or the scan bolt, even, and uh, I think typically it was better to leave the health equipment to you simply for the, um, simply because you had the right mods for them. So uh, I just went for the stuff that was the easiest to use. 
Yeah, you two would always take all the missiles, and I, I never use missiles at all, so... Actually, I would generally lean away from missiles. I would keep them around, like, for desperate measures, but because they, one, didn't give you that much for points compared to a power charge shot to the head, and two, they also just generally made the game easier, and I'm like, no, I want this, I'm, I'm doing it my way, I want, but I want to get fully charged shots to the head, I, because of that self-imposed challenge, I naturally leaned away towards missiles unless I was in a dire situation. So, for me, I think, well, you know, I've said a few examples so far, but um, I, I quite liked um, to be the shielder and the healer, and <laughs> I remember when we were starting off, you know, I thought, you know, I thought to myself, I want to be the healer role because at least in that case, like, like in a way you kind of wield the power, if that makes sense. Like, you know, if someone else is down, I can be like, oh, no, sorry, I'm busy over here. And just like totally forget about, <laughs> <laughs> um, about how, how my teammates are going. Um, <laughs> um, I do like on the shield. Um, and I like how the shield is really um, versatile in that you can actually attach it to things. And so uh, I gravitated on towards using the shield. And I really, really, really love the, I, don't, I can't remember what it's called now, but there's the um, mod that will allow you to, um, to, for the shield to heal you at the same time. And geez, like, I think I got that mod like twice and that was like the best mod Um Anyway, um, so I yes, I would shield um, and sort of defend and be the protector of the group. Um, um, in contrast to Adrian's uh, warrior role, um, and I think that I use the ice beam and the slow beam in in a similar way, you know, to sort of slow the speed of um, slow um, slow the speed of some of those um, more intense confrontations. Um, as a way, like in a collective sense, you know, so that we, like, if I noticed that you guys were finding it hard and that as a group through our communication that we were all um, sort of on the ropes, you know, I would start to use, like, I would just ice, 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 just to, you know, <laughs> just to cool things off, um, my other pun. But I think as well, you know, um, Greg, I think that you and I would sometimes sort of trade roles with some of the um, uh, with some of the auxiliary um, weapons like the uh, like the fire and the um, and the shock beam. Yeah, um, to sort of add to what I missed, I forgot about the the scan bolt and the slow beam. Uh, scan bolt, I used it. Because it has this interesting effect where when you fire it on the enemy, it shows their weak point, but it also gives you power shot homing. So you can fire, you know, a fully charged shot and it'll have slight homing on the scanned enemy. Uh, the other was, uh, I did actually end up using slow beams a lot more, especially for the mission with the Metroids. You know, slow those bastards down a little. It's interesting, actually, um, your example of the Scanvo, it kind of reminds me that a number of these um, um, of the loadout items they have like more than one um, distinct property so like the fire beam will cause a burn so it'll you know, cause some damage over time only about you know, 5 HP or something but it will also cause combustion as well which makes the enemies explode 
Mm -hmm. and that has a very 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 slight radio effect am i right in saying that yeah like, there there's actually a mod called combustion where if enemies are burned oh, that's it they yeah. will explode and you know take out even more enemies alongside them uh, for missions like black hole or pretty much a lot of encounters with space pirates that's extremely useful uh, because they often tend to be clumped together perhaps then it's not the fact that the loadouts per se have more than one property um Although perhaps you know they are quite flexible in and of themselves, um, but rather it's more a case of the um, of the mods ex um, adding more nuance and, and properties to the um, um, to the loadouts. Well, and yeah, well, that's what they're for, aren't they? You know, for augmenting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you try and say something really profound, but it's also very obvious. <laughs> cool. So um, I think that pretty much wraps up our conversation, guys. Um, did you did you guys have any final thoughts you wanted to share? Because of what a lot of what we covered in the first combat, or first combat, in the first podcast about Federation Force <laughs> and how combat in it is different compared to other FPSs, uh, that's actually what allows, you know, these loadouts and mods to be possible and make sense they wouldn't make as much sense in other shooters. Like, you couldn't stick this in Call of Duty and have it make sense. Like, why the hell would I need to be shooting fireballs? Or why the hell would I need, you know, proximity bombs when everybody's ducking under cover and never trying to get close to your face? Uh, they wouldn't have the same utility. So, it also speaks to the core and the way that Federation Force is designed. Yeah, with that slower um, movement and shooting speed, mm -hmm. there's more time for them to add more um, detail and nuance and sort of richness to the moving and shooting. Whereas what you see with um, with the more fast-paced FPS games is that they focus on things like wall climbing and um, they really have to... Um, it seems like quite a challenge, um, you know, for designers to mine that design space because of the um, because of that fast game speed. You know, limits in some way limits the window of um, potential interactivity. Yeah. So that'll wrap us up for this podcast, and um, in the next podcast, we shall discuss. Metroid Prime Blast Ball, which is a um, sort of like a side sports game that um, that accompanies Federation Forces' uh, main um, single player and cooperative multiplayer campaign. So uh, look forward to that, and I suspect, in fact, I'm quite sure that the next podcast will be our last, and we will be answering a very very important question, fellas, which is, what is better? The original Prime games or Metroid Prime Federation Four. <laughs> Stay tuned. Squeebies. <laughs> yeah, I've done it okay, now. Okay, <laughs> you're gonna start a, a petition to have a, have us cancelled. Yeah, sadness. Uh, it is weird that uh, members <laughs> of a commune are in a Federation Force. What's a commune again? <laughs> It's like when you decide to... Well, okay. Um, 
basically in the 19th century, there was this idea that you could get away from society and kind of build your own mini society on a farm. Um, and that's what that is, like a society away from society. Ah, okay. Group of people that's, living together and sharing <laughs> possessions and responsibilities. Maybe that isn't surprising that a commune is a, fe a federation force. Whatever, I'm just ruining your joke. 